everyone. Welcome everyone watching us online and joining in online. Uh, today, I'm going to step out on the ice a little bit uh, and talk about uh, a topic that has caused a lot of pain in the church through the ages. Uh, and it's something that has been hugely misunderstood in terms of Jesus' teachings and what the scripture says. Uh, but it is still very relevant today. And that topic is divorce. Uh, it's, again, not a terribly inspiring topic, uh, and, but it is something we need to talk about because Jesus does talk about it, and it is in there, and it is probably, what Jesus says is probably not what most of us would think Jesus would say, or definitely not what the church practices. So, let me backtrack a little bit before we get too far in. In the Old Testament, there are a whole bunch of laws. The first five books are full of laws. And the rabbis have gone through and counted every single law, and then they've accounted for repeats, because the same law will appear in two or three places. There's 623 laws. So if somebody says, I'm going to follow God's law, there are 623 of them to follow. Uh, it's a lot more than you think it, than I think most of us think it is. Uh, there's a bunch of those. And Jesus comes, and he's very familiar with the laws. But of all those 623 of them, there's only one law that he interprets more strictly than what's already written. Only one of all 623. Most of them, he's a lot less strict. Like, for example, stoning. Thank God he got rid of that practice, right? The woman gets caught in adultery. They come to Jesus you know, and he says, well, if you have no sin, you can cast the first stone and people scatter, right? That's why, part of why we don't do stoning in the church, among other reasons, um, right? I mean, you pity the property chair who gets the wrong carpet color if we were still doing stoning, right? Um, but was that, was that too much? For that? Was that, did I cross the line on that? So, um, but, uh, so, right, so most of the laws, Jesus kind of, pulls them back a little bit or rears them, except this one. This one he doubles down on and goes even more hardcore. Uh, so let's read what it says. Again, this is, this is our gospel reading in Mark that you just heard. I'll kind of paraphrase it a little bit, but it says the Pharisees came. These are scholars of the law. They studied the law, and they said, uh, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Well, they already know the answer to this question, Right? You know, uh, it's, uh, why are they asking him this? They're, somehow they're trying to fish for him to give an answer, right? That they can catch him and accuse him of not taking God's law seriously. And so Jesus says, what did Moses command you? Now, you got to remember that when, when it says Moses, they used to believe that the first five books of the Bible, the ones that have all the laws in them, were written by Moses, uh, and so whenever Jesus will say, Moses said this and Moses said that, uh, it's those first five books of the Bible that were believed to be written by Moses. So just, that's what he's saying. And so they said, well, Moses uh, allowed a man to write a certificate of dismissal and divorce her. Uh, but Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote this commandment for you. And then he goes on to talk about how in the beginning we were made male and female. Then we jump to verse 10. Then in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. Uh, and Jesus said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, 
she commits adultery. So, <laughs> uh, what's going on here, right? What's going on here? Well, it's, Jesus was right when he said, this is what Moses said. Uh, so let's look at Deuteronomy 24. This is, the one, this is the verse Jesus is quoting. This is the one Jesus is referencing. Suppose a man enters into marriage with a woman, but she does not please him because he finds something objectionable about her. And so he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house. She then leaves his house and goes off to become another man's wife. Then suppose the second man dislikes her, writes her a bill of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house. Or the suppose the second man he married dies. He could die too. Her first husband, who sent her away, uh, is not permitted to take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled. Wow. This is the law Jesus is quoting. You can't take back your ex after you divorced her. But it does mean a man can divorce his wife simply for finding something objectionable or for her failing to please him, which is all, of course, very vague, right? It's all very vague language, you know, and the man kind of gets to be the one who defines what those terms mean. You know, you could get to court, you know, imagine that trying to get to court and trying to argue, you know, your honor, my client really did, in fact, try to please her husband. In fact, last Tuesday, she did beep, you know, and then you include all sorts of you know, too much information, things, and he would go, well, actually, no, Your Honor. My, my, clus, my, my, my client was really trying hard to be a good husband, but she wouldn't do, I mean, come on, really? Could you imagine that? I mean, it's all kind of vague, so it's kind of like any guy can divorce any wife for pretty much any reason he wants and just put it under this catch-all loophole thing. Not a great law, in my opinion, Right? But it's 3,000 years old. It is what the Bible says. So, so Jesus is correct. The Bible does allow a man to divorce his wife. Uh, but Jesus isn't happy with that. He doesn't think that's quite right. So he go, takes it one step farther. Let's look at Mark again, right? Jesus says that God, yes, in fact, God did allow divorce because you people have hardened hearts. You have hardened hearts. In other words, it's because men, it, it isn't because men are entitled to, be, to never be displeased, but it's because you, because as people, you, you had, there's a lack of compassion and love. And so you, if you had, in other words, he's kind of implying if you didn't have a hardened heart, you wouldn't be needing this, right? So to him, divorce is necessary because people are sinful. That's why the law was put in there. But then he takes it the next step and says it's not just enough that a guy can't take his ex back, neither should the, it's that neither should she get to remarry. And if either does the same, it's as if they've committed adultery. And you go, wow, Jesus harsh. What's going on here? I mean, doesn't Jesus know things happen? People change? Uh, sometimes people are miserable. Not every marriage works out. You know, Jesus, do you want people to just be miserable? Is that what you're saying? Well, you know, 
Those are kind of modern questions, is the trick. The crowd standing around Jesus looking, was looking at marriage and divorce in a very different way than we do today. And if, and if you don't think of that, you'll miss what Jesus is saying and where he's coming from. So a few things to remember. First, uh, it's the law that only men get to divorce women. There were, uh, there were situations where a woman could do the divorce. It was a lot harder. But at least in this passage, it's the men who divorce the women. So this really makes it much more of an issue of male responsibility, right? Assuming the wife pleases and isn't objectionable. Second, the economics of it are sta really stacked on the guy's side, right? The guys, they have jobs, you know? You work at the shipyard, you get divorced, you still work at the shipyard. You just keep on working. She can't exactly just get a job in this culture. She needs that marriage to put food on the table and support her. So, so divorcing your wife and kicking her out was really leaving her without an income. You were kicking out someone who was dependent on you, who you agreed to provide for. And third, because women were so financially dependent, after they would get divorced, the, the best option usually was to try to go back to your family. Have your, you, you know, your parents, your brothers, whatever, take you in. But to them, unless they were really rich, it's like, oh, great, here we go. One more mouth to feed. And so families weren't always eager to take them back. And then fourth, there was always kind of this potential little subtext that maybe it was really her fault. You know, maybe she was a bad wife. And that's why she, she got divorced. And maybe, you know, her parents didn't do a good job teaching her how to be a good wife. And so then the whole community is snickering. Yeah, Billy, Bob, and Susie, you didn't teach your daughter how to be a good wife, did you? You're bad parents. So now not just she's a bad wife, you're a bad parent. The whole family's got shame piled on them. If you take her back, are you endorsing her bad behavior? Are you endorsing her bad wifeness? You know, you could be getting shame on the whole family. And fifth, if, in fact, people start talking and thinking she's a bad wife, who's going to want to remarry her anyways? Right? She's damaged goods. And if she remarries, why is she doing it? I mean... Is it the case that she really is treated unfairly? Or was this her plan all along? That she was just going to not please her husband so she could get a divorce, so she could take off with the guy she really wanted. And her father had arranged a marriage, and she's trying to go around and defy his authority. That she's playing 3D chess with the system and figuring out a way to manipulate it, to, to leave her family behind, to go find, you know, where the grass is greener somewhere. We got to put a lid on that, right? But in all this, when all happens, the guy, he just moves on until Jesus comes along and says that both of them can't remarry, period. You're both adulterers if you remarry. And so if you can't be together, you can't be with someone else. No dumping someone else to go and pursue the greener grass. You might not be together, but you ain't moving on. Harsh? Yeah, I think so. Uh, but this law was taken pretty seriously. 
by a lot of churches, maybe even most churches up until about the 1960s. If you got divorced, you were out. If you were clergy and got divorced, you were fired. You couldn't be a good moral example if you can't keep your own marriage together, right? And, and taken in Jesus' day, you know, I can see a little bit of where he's coming from. I mean, you, you look at that guy and you'd say, you know, look, you made a commitment. She depends on you. The kids depend on you. And now you're putting her in a difficult situation and her whole family by extension for what? You didn't get pleased enough? I mean, what is she going to have to do now? You know, she's got this reputation. She's going to go beg. You know, whatever family to take her back. She has to go into the oldest profession. It's a tough place to be. I wouldn't envy any woman getting divorced back in that time. So if what Jesus is really saying is, you can't throw your wife to the curb just because you're not getting your own selfish desires met the way you think they should be met because you made a commitment and you're not living with it, I'm not going to sit here and watch you throw your wives out on the curb. It's selfish and it's cruel. If that's what Jesus is saying, I can get a little more on board with that. So, but anyway, so in all of this, uh, the churches that stuck to this passage, really literally, for a long period of time, right? No divorce. But if you absolutely had to, if you absolutely had to, you know, they discourage remarrying. And they'd probably count the days till you remarried, right? How long did you really wait? You know? People talk, right? You know? And so what Jesus is doing in many ways is he's kind of providing some protection, you know, that, that in many ways, maybe what he's doing is he's providing protection from people for, who, who could be potentially suffering a lifetime of poverty because of a frivolous divorce for selfish reasons. And that's an intent I can get behind a little bit more. Don't just throw out your obligations to others. It's not all about you. Right? Marriage lesson number one. It's not all about you. You know, you have a responsibility, a duty, an obligation, an expectation. You made a commitment. Step up. But, you know, that was then. Right? Nowadays, we live in a world where people marry by choice, where women get jobs, you know, where divorcing someone can still be a very difficult thing very taxing on you emotionally, personally, but we do have courts, you know, we do have child, things like child support and alimony and splitting of assets, and we have way, uh, systems of dealing with it, so you're not just left on the street with nothing. So why should we still have a ban on remarrying after divorce? Well, people did start getting divorced a lot more in the 60s and 70s, and the rates shot way up. And people were immediately trying to figure out why was this? What was going on? What changed? You know, and people have tried to figure out, was it just the fact that there were a lot of women who were really miserable, but they were economically dependent, and now that they could get a job, they were like, I don't need to stay with this guy. Or, it, or was it just a lot of people not wanting to go through the work of a commitment uh, and, uh, you know, wanting to just have, you know, 
butterflies and hot nights and crazy spontaneous trips to Spain. And the reality is, is, you know, marriage, marriage can be a little bit of that, but the truth is it's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of waking up to change diapers. It's a lot of compromising and compromising and thinking about others all the time, doing things that don't necessarily give you butterflies and big frills, but are really important to the people around you and responsibility and honor and duty and commitment and obligation will never be able to compete in a selfish way with butterflies and hot nights, right? And it, it, it's a different, and marriage in many ways, I would say is a different, that it's a deeper, it's a more powerful love and experience. But if you're shallow and selfish and you're just pursuing gratification, marriage will cut into that. So do I think that there are some people who get divorced when they could be going to therapy, when they could be doing some introspection and looking at themselves and asking if they're really doing the hard work that needs to be doing and the reassessing of priorities and the compromising, you know, yeah, I do. I also think we live in a culture that doesn't value duty and honor and commitment and obligation very much. You know, nothing is ever sold on duty, honor and obligation to others, right? Think about car commercials. When was the last time someone tried to sell a car on this vehicle will be the best for helping you to fill your duties to the family around you? There is a car like that. You know what it's called? A minivan. <laughs> I'm on my third. <laughs> and Toyota keeps trying to get me to trade mine in for a new one because they can't hardly get the things off the lot. Why? I have a theory. I don't know if any of you remember, back in the 90s, there was a commercial. And there was a guy at the gym, this big buffed up guy. And he's throwing these weights around. And then suddenly someone over the loudspeaker goes, well, the man, or somebody had with a tan minivan, your lights are on. The person with a tan minivan, your lights are on. And the guy looks around and just keeps lifting. He doesn't, want to, he doesn't want to look unmanly driving a tan minivan, so he leaves the lights on. And I think that after that, it got really hard to move a minivan. Because, because really, they're really good utility vehicles at moving people in and out and getting them to soccer practice and grocery stores. But you know, nobody ever talks about, you know, man, I got divorced and I jumped in that minivan and rolled the wheels down and drove my Honda Odyssey up the mountain. Woohoo! I'm free, baby. No one ever does that because it's about duty and obligation and value to others. Not thrill. Our culture doesn't value those things. And so I think there's, and we're kind of hard baked to not think about that. And we're hard baked to feel like when we're doing something out of obligation to others that we're somehow cutting short some fun experience we could be having in our lives, that there's an opportunity cost, and it makes it hard to live honor and duty and obligation in a culture that's teaching you to pursue your own selfish interests all the time. But, you know, that's part of it. 
But what happened? So the 60s came around, the 70s came around, and people started getting divorced more and more in church. They had to try to decide what they're going to do, right? And, you know, as always in America, we faced off in debates. One side said, you're telling people to live in miserable situations, and the other one was saying, you don't care about family and marriage. And we argued, because that's what we always do. We always have to pick a stake in extreme, right? And so they fought against each other. But here was the interesting thing. In American Christianity, there's been a lot of these sort of marriage, family, sexuality issues that have divided churches. Divorce never really did in that way. It never really did. You didn't end up with denominations splitting over divorce, having the, you know, the, the pro-divorce pastor over here, and then the, oh, come to our church, we believe in the Bible, and opposed divorce church splits off. You didn't have that. It was kind of, we kind of worked through it and grew through it, and, you know, and it was kind of muddy, but over time, people shifted, and, and, we, and we stopped, you know, telling the ushers to block the divorcees at the door, which was a real thing that used to happen. We just sort of accepted it and began moving because we have to accept that sometimes that the world of the Bible, the world that Jesus was in, was so different from our own that the laws that were made then just really can't apply today. And that a literal interpretation just isn't going to work. And, and I think it also means that a lot of the social stances and teachings about marriage and family and sexuality, the truth is they can change, and the church does not collapse, and it does not fall in on itself, and the whole world does not become pure moral relativism. So, yeah, I am not going to teach. At the end of the day, I'm not going to say divorce is good, and it's great, and yeah, man, you should try it. I'm not going to say that it's what God intends. I think God intends us to stay together. I think that's what God wants. That's the goal. But I will also not say that someone should stay where they really are being abused or mistreated, and that sometimes being apart is the better of a bunch of bad options to fix things. And sometimes splitting is maybe the best answer, even if it hurts and isn't part of God's plan. And I don't think Jesus would come down on me for it today, doing second and third weddings at church. It's a different time, you know? So, yeah, I think we should think more about about it at the front end when we go into it and think a little bit more about honor and duty and obligation and, and work and compromise and these kind of things and be a little bit more realistic about it. Um, you know, I think if we all did that on the front end, we'd be better off on the back end. And yeah, I do think in our culture, sometimes we drop commitments too quickly because we want to make everything about ourselves. So there are these things we can work on and improve on. But I have no desire to go back to the old way. You know, I have no desire to go back to Jesus' time, you know, where everything was arranged between families and you didn't even meet your spouse until the day of. And, and you know, the women were all economically dependent and men had this sort of leverage to throw them out at any time and could probably remind their wives, remember, you don't want to be thrown out, do you? I could write you a certificate 
you know? I don't want to go back to that. I don't want to go back to that. I don't want to turn back the clock. So let's be supportive of one another in our relationships and show love and grace and support to those going through what is really a very hard time most of the time. And I think Jesus would support that stance, to support each other on the front end and support each other on the back end, to make things work as well as possible, but do what we have to when we can't. And I think there can be grace in that. Amen.